0: If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, we will be in Hosea chapter 2 today. If you can't find this, I've said it every week, there's no shame in that. Go ahead and use the table of contents in the front of your Bible. It's a hard one to find. I have always fancied myself a little bit of a mechanic. Now, that doesn't mean you can bring your cars to me, and I'll tell you why here in just a second, because I always tend to mess things up. You two don't get to laugh at me back there just because you're good at this. A few years ago, the water pump on my mom's car went out, and I got to looking at it, and I was like, I I can do that. It's three bolts. Three bolts on, three bolts off. That's all I've got to do is pull that water pump off and it'll take me like, oh, at least 15 minutes easily. And I started to take this water pump off my mom's car. And what I realized is one of those three bolts was actually behind the pulley. So like the bolt wouldn't come all the way out to release itself from the motor. And I started looking at it and go, okay, well, that pulley has to come off. How do I get that pulley off? And I started cranking and prying with stuff that I shouldn't have been, and then I realized I can't do this, doing this is beyond my capabilities and I have just wasted four hours of my life trying to figure out how to fix this car now what I did in trying to fix it myself was I made it more complicated because now instead of getting it in the, or getting in it and driving it down the road now I have the water pump half off and you can't drive a car very far without a water pump so this turns into this huge ordeal where I have to take this car load it on a trailer run to a couple of good sets of four-wheeler ramps thinking they would hold the car up they won't and drive this down to a mechanic who did have the capabilities to do this and probably did it in about half of an hour and I tell you that story because I think that that is probably a lot of us in a lot of different ways. How many of us have a story in our life where we go, I'm going to fix that. And then we made it worse. Like that's pretty much all of us. And as we look at ourselves, as we look in a mirror and we assess ourselves, what I look at and I see Brian, I say, Brian is dirty. Brian has problems that he can't fix. And when we look in the mirror and see that, I think a lot of times what we do is we start to go into shade tree mechanic mode. Well, how am I going to fix me? How am I going to make myself better? I know I've got this, this relationship with God that is broken because of my sin where I've picked my path over his path. i probably suffered some consequences if I'm looking in the mirror. I've got to clean myself up. Got to get my act together. So I start going to church. Well, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to fix me. I'm going to start doing that. Well, maybe if I was a better person, maybe if I served in the community a little bit, that, that would make me better. Well, what if I changed my habits? Or of course, our favorite every year is those New Year's resolutions that last all of four days before we give up on them. And we start looking at ourselves and we start trying to fix ourselves, to clean ourselves. But the problem with that is fixing us or cleaning ourselves before God is outside of our capabilities. And the more time we spend trying to fix ourselves instead of taking ourselves to the one who is qualified to fix us, the worse we get. Now, I tell you that story because I think what we're going to find in Hosea today is that, that God has the power to fix us and we don't. We take that back. I know that's what we're going to find in Hosea today. And God wants us to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you haven't been here the past couple weeks, here's just a quick review of the book of Hosea so far that we've been studying. Hosea is a prophet, which just simply means he is a person sent from God with a message to the Israelites. And God uses Hosea a little bit differently than he uses other prophets. He tells Hosea, hey, go find a prostitute and marry her and your marriage will be a picture of what it is like for me, God, to love a a nation that cheats on me with other gods all this time. And chapter two started off last week. We started looking at this as God defines his broken relationship with his people because they had turned their back upon him. And, and then he lays out a set of judgments or punishments that will come on them. And what we found out is all of that is for the purpose of turning those people around to come back to him. As we continue in chapter two, what we're going to see is the cycle of restoration that we see five different times in the book of Hosea. God's people sin. The relationship with God is broken. God turns them around with a judgment or a punishment where they will come back to him. And then the relationship is stored, not by us, not by the Israelites, not by our capabilities, but by God's plan. And in Hosea chapter two going forward, what we're gonna see is what happens after God's people, after people choose to turn around and to follow him, God lays out his plan for rescue of how he will soften us and bring us back. So here we are in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 14 through 15 if you've got your Bibles. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. Now remember that I here is God, and the her is speaking of Israel, who he is comparing in a metaphor to his wife. And I will give her her vineyards from thence in the valley of Acre for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt hold your Bibles open we're going to come back to this just in a second so God begins to tell us how is this relationship between us and him going to be restored how can this broken thing that we've broken with our sin be changed and God handles it different than I do oh, like using the metaphor of a cheating spouse he, he keeps comparing us as sinners and Israel in this story as a cheating spouse who could have had him but chooses to go off chasing all of these other gods or all of these sins and so I think to myself well what would it be like if I was the husband and it it was my wife who cheated on me how would I handle that and I tell you this not as a brag I tell you this because we're all broken I wouldn't handle it very good if that was my story in my life I know myself well enough to know that I would become incredibly manipulative that I would begin to belittle and demean her to justify myself I would say look what you did you don't deserve me You should be begging me to come back to you. And that's how I think a lot of people would handle that kind of a hurt, which makes how God handles this when he has people that turn their back on him and betray him, it makes how God handles this all that more amazing. How does God handle it? He says two things. He says, I will take her into the wilderness. He he takes his people and he gets alone with them. And then he uses the word here, allure them. Now that's, that's different. There's no pettiness in that. There's no manipulation in that, no demeaning in that. God just says, I'm going to get away. I'm going I'm to personally connect with these people and allure them. Uh, that word allure, I had to look that up because like, I know what it means. I can use it in a sentence, but like, how do I explain it to y'all? And, and what that means is to be alluring or to allure someone is the quality of being powerfully attractive some of you are a little prideful and you're like i've got that i've got the powerfully attractive thing down but this is a powerful aspect of god and the core of our message today listen to this god is enough for us i'm gonna say that again god is enough for us when he goes chasing his people, he doesn't have to bribe them. He doesn't have to threaten them. He has the power of enoughness. He doesn't have to bring something to you and say, hey, don't you want to come back to me? I've got all the goodies over here. A promise of a relationship with God is enough. And as you come to Ramsey Heights, this is what I want to sell you on. Pardon pardon that word, but I don't know how to sell it. That's what we're trying to sell you on is what you need is a relationship with God. I don't have to qualify that with like the call now and we'll throw in, like we don't have to do that here because God is enough for us that's all we need and if you can ever get alone with God what you will see is you will see who he is and he will be attractive to you he will be attractive to you because the Bible says God is love not God has love not God loves you God is love He'll be attractive to you because it says that God is merciful. What that means is that when I come and I restore my, or God restores his relationship with me, when our relationship is restored, I'm going to mess up. I've done it today. So have you. And, and every time I mess up, God's like, it's okay. Let, let's just go forward like that didn't happen. I forgive that. Let's move forward. I, I mess up so bad that I should never be loved by anybody. And God just keeps going, it's okay, Brian. It's okay. It's okay. Let's just keep going. Let's grow together. The Bible says that God is holy and perfect. And we look at the holiness and the perfection of God, what we find is that that everything from God is good. And everything that is good is from God. And how do we look a God like that in a face and not just want to love him and worship him and serve him all of the time? Uh, This is God's plan for restoring us. Our first take-home truth is a relationship with God is enough to turn us from our sin. Let me ask us this question. Is that how we view God? Do we view God as if he's enough? Or do we view God like many people do because we follow God because we want something from him? Maybe, maybe I'm following God and I'm kind of following the rules because I think, well, if, if I give financially to God, you know, he's going to bless me financially, and that's what I really want is I want my financial blessings. Or we follow God because I think that in my culture, in the culture of Bible Belt, Arkansas here, there's an aspect of respect that goes with that. Maybe, maybe we follow God because we think he's our own personal genie in a bottle. Like I don't really have a relationship with God until I need something, and then I pull that bottle out and I start, or lamp, I guess that lamp start rubbing it's like God, hey, here's here's my prayers. Answer them, that's what you're here for. How many people across the world follow God, not because they love Him, but because they think that they're going to get heaven? When we look at God, He doesn't need any of those things. And if that is what you follow God for, you have missed the point. The point is that you get God. That's all that matters. That's all you need. And God defines this relationship multiple places in the Bible like a marriage. Not, not, like a, not like a partnership, not like a contract, as a marriage. So, this is class involvement time. You guys are going to get to yell it out. Tell me, I want to hear it loud, what attracted you to your spouse? You're going to have to ride home with these people later, and they're going to be wondering why you didn't say anything. What attracted you to your spouse? I'll wait. He was in church so glenita was attracted to his faith love it i need one more good looking donna are you sure about no i'm kidding i'm kidding he did you say he was good looking back then okay like if we're being honest like hey they were good looking for me i met my wife on a blind date because i was introduced by somebody in this church and for me you know what it was it was a smile like it I, i i it's intoxicating like she would smile and be like oh I love you <laughs> it, it was so attractive to me but you know what none of our spouses had to do none of our spouses had to bribe us uh, if you if you'll love me I'll give you all of these things if, if you if you will treat me nicely I'll do these things back for you no we were attracted because of who they are and if you're attracted to somebody because they bribe you or because you think you can get something from them that's not love and that's not a relationship and it's the same thing with God. If we are attracted to him, not because of who he is, but because of what we think we can get out of him, it is not love that is a rela- not a relationship. And this is the problem Israel had in the time of Hosea. They wanted God for his blessings, but they didn't love God. They didn't love who he was. They didn't love what he did for them. They just, they just wanted the things. And here's a problem. If things are what draws you to God, things can also draw you away from God and isn't that isn't that the 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 plan of sin offer you something and then get you to chase it that's not what God has to do only sin has to do that because because sin is broken sin cannot allure you because if you saw what sin really did to you if you saw what sin really did to your spirit you would run away so sin must entice and bribe you we learned that last week and here's what I've learned about sin as compared to God is sin will always leave you empty It comes with all of these empty promises. Well, people will like you. You'll be happy. You'll finally find contentment in your sin. If you will just do these things, you will be full. But sin never fills you up. Sin is like going to the Mexican food restaurant. Any Mexican food lovers in here? Here's what I do I go there and I order a cheese dip. And I eat like six of those baskets of chips and cheese dip and salsa and by the time they bring the good food the actual food that you know keeps you alive like I'm like I don't even want it I eat half of it and I go back to the chips and when I leave there I'm like oh my goodness I'm like I'm not I'm telling because, like babe I'm not gonna make it you're gonna have to drive home right but an hour later I'm hungry you know why because I wasn't filling myself up with the good things and that's what sin will do to you sin will promise you it will entice you it'll make you think that it will fill you up but you will be uh, but you will be left empty and for some of us in here today you may be sitting here and thinking Brian my faith feels empty right now if your faith feels empty it's because you were drawn to the wrong thing as a matter of fact empty promises is the mark of false gods they say, come and worship me. If you look at the, the, like the Old Testament or go back into history and you look at all of the list of gods that people worshipped, all of these gods were supposed to serve you in some way. Hey, come to this temple and bow down to this wooden block face thing and it'll make it rain. But you pray to it and you worship it and, and it never rains because a wooden block can't make it rain or a temple of, uh, towards a God of fertility. Hey, if you'll come here, this will get you children or whatever. And then you go and you pray and you worship to it and you leave empty because it didn't work because that block of wood or that hunk of stone can't do that for you. And today we chase gods of empty promises that promise us, hey, if you'll do this, you'll be happy. If you do this, your relationships will be great. If you do this, you'll have power and prestige. If you do this, you'll have money. And we chase these false gods all the time. I want you to listen very closely to to what I'm about to say because I don't want you to confuse this. Some of us in here are chasing a false God, but we call him Jesus. And what that means is that we don't worship the actual God. We don't worship the actual Jesus. What we have done is we've taken his name and we've made ourselves our own God that serves me and gives me what I want and we call him Jesus. And it's not the same thing as worshiping the actual Jesus Christ that is in the Bible. And I can prove that that's true scripturally because I know what you're thinking. That's weird. Some of us do this and I can prove it because Jesus himself said, he talked about a judgment day. He said, in that day, there's gonna be people and they're gonna come into heaven and they're gonna stand in front of me and we're gonna have this discussion and they're gonna say to me, say, Lord, Lord, I did all of these things for you. I taught for you, I prophesied for you. I even cast out demons in your name, using your name. And you know what Jesus says? He says, and at that time, I will sell them depart from me, you who commit iniquity, because I never knew you. People will spend their lives chasing a false god that they put a false name of Jesus on instead of chasing the one and true Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can fall into this because what's real about worshiping God is all we need All we need to come to him, all we need from him is that promise of a relationship with somebody, with a being so amazing that would love me and be merciful to me and forgive me. So this morning, listen, if you're thinking about your faith, go ahead and forget the mansions and the golden streets and the pearly gates and all of those things. That's not what we're here for. We're not trying to figure out how to get into heaven and experience all of these wonderful things. That was never the point of heaven in the first place. The point of heaven was, guess what? Being in eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were thieves on either side of him, and they took turns mocking him until one of them observed something special in Jesus Christ, and he finally broke, and he was dying, and he said, Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? And what did Jesus answer back to him? He didn't say, he didn't say, oh, I've got a mansion waiting for you. He didn't say, oh, there's going to be a ton of people waiting at the gate to welcome you in. What did he say? He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. What we're doing here and the reason we worship is all about relationship because the allure of God is enough. A relationship with him is enough. And I love how gentle God is in this passage. He's not browbeating these people. He says, I'm just going to take my people I'm going to remove the things that are distracting them from me. I'm going to get somewhere where they can focus on me. Oh, and they're going to fall in love with me because of that. God is gentle. Uh, last week, I was dealing with some things ministry-wise that uh, I was really struggling with, and I'll tell you what I was struggling with was, did I put myself in a place where I wasn't supposed to be? Did I try to fix something like that stupid old car? that I wasn't meant to fix and I was really struggling with that and and like I was really praying God like God I need your help we got to get this figured out this is a really big deal this this affects people's lives I need you to do something here and instead of God going okay I'll do it you know what God kept saying to me he just this little voice inside was just saying give it to me Well, no, God, because what if you tell me to butt out and you decide to take care of yourself and I've got my my situation going, I've got a plan, I just need you to kind of like get on the train with my plan. And God's going, hey, give it to me. And very gently, very gently, as I was praying this, I just began to pray and the Holy Spirit just led me into this prayer of, God, you are good, God, you are love, and God, you are trustworthy. And in that moment, I finally realized I could let go of this, not because I don't want to deal with it anymore, but because when God says give it to him, I can trust him. And some of you right now, are you're dealing with the Holy Spirit and he's nudging you. He's nudging you. You feel it. Hey, you need to take that next step of faith. You need to give up that sin that, that you've been fighting with. You need to release that and give that to me. And I want to tell you guys to listen to that gentle trusting or that that gentle nudging because you can trust him. And I say that not as a person who stands on the stage. I say that as a person who has to live that. I'm not a super Christian. We're all the same in here. I can tell you right now that you can trust him with what he is calling you to. Let's continue to read God's plan in Hosea 2. If you still got your Bibles with you, this is verses 16 and 17. And it shall be that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and thou shalt, shalt call me no more Bali. Let me go back because that was not translated for whatever reason out of the Hebrew. Let me go back and translate that for us. Verse 16. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me husband and shall no more call me master. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth and they shall no more be remembered by their name. So God here in these steps of how he is going to restore us to himself, number one is he uses his power of enoughness to just lure us to him. Uh, Number two is he is going to change our relationship dynamic. He says, you will no longer call me master. You will be able to call me husband. And those two relationships are completely different. A master is someone that you obey out of fear. A husband is someone that you love, or a spouse rather, is someone that you love out of awe. And it tells us something is once we look God in the face, once we truly see who he is, Once we're allured by his goodness, once we realize that God is enough, our definition of who God is changes. Because so many of us, we spend our lives, even going to church all of our lives, and we spend our lives thinking, I've got to make him happy so that he doesn't crush me. Or I've got to make him happy so that he gives me what I want. And what that tells me is that we have a heart problem. Actually, I think it might be a sight problem, because it's about how do we see God? how do we see who he is see a master must be obeyed why for two reasons because if I obey the master I get what I want and if I don't obey the master I get punished and the key word in both of those statements is I the key word in that relationship is what do I want or what do I not want and anytime that we are saying about our relationship with God what I want or what I don't want that's a heart problem And just as I said earlier, if what I want pulls me to God, what I want will pull me away from God as well. That that I is a very evil thing, but there's this revolutionary change where we're no longer focused on I, where God says that his people can then call him husband. The relationship is different. When Israel returns, there will be a new view, and that new view will be about love and commitment. It's no longer about I. It's now about love. Our next take-home truth is obeying God for gain is selfishness. Obeying God out of love is relationship. And this is the problem you see in the Old Testament with Israel and the reason Hosea is sent to them because Israel only obeyed God out of selfishness to get what they want or to not be punished. And, And isn't that a picture of modern Christianity is we serve for the things we serve out of fear, but we don't, we don't serve out of love. And if that's you today, if you're here because you think I've got to go to church in order to get myself into heaven, if you're here because you're trying to get something out of God that he'll fix something for you, if you're just a little bit better, you're living an empty faith. And let me tell you, I can say that to you because that was my story for about 15 years of my Christian life. An empty faith based on doing all the right actions for all the wrong reasons. Because God was my master not because I had a relationship with him. And when you live that, and you live that legalistic society that says, I've got to keep God happy with me. I've got to make sure God knows what I want. The alternative of knowing that, hey, God loves me unconditionally is so much of a draw to him. So let's continue reading here. We're going to read verse 17 again in God's plan for restoring us. It says, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant with them, with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and I will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies." I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. So when God sits here and he does this, step one, he will allure us with his power of enoughness. Number two is our relationship and how we view him will change us. And then the third step that he does is that our desires will change. So our next take-home truth is that a relationship with God will change your desires. God says here, speaking of Israel who had, who had worshiped false gods called Baal. It says Balaam here, but it's Baal, it's the same God. God says, technical difficulty. God, God says, I will take the name of Baal from their lips. Their desires will change. People who wanted to worship false gods will turn away from their false gods and they will only want to talk about and worship and pray to God. And the reason for that is comparison. What did your false gods ever do for you? You spent your life chasing money. What did your money ever do for you? Well, I've got a nice house and a good car. You still want more, you still feel empty. What did your false gods ever do for you? And when you compare those false gods with the real character of God, once you see Him, suddenly you don't want to be the same. Listen to me carefully because some of us need to hear this. You cannot follow God without changing, but you will want to change when you focus on who he really is because you say I can choose to keep living in the world that hurts me or I can choose to live in his love that fills me up it won't happen overnight it's a process but God will begin to change you and once again we see the key here to what God is saying about this restored relationship is his relationship with us he keeps repeating himself. It keeps coming back to relationship. It's almost, like, it's almost like he designed us and knew that we were hard-headed and he had to repeat himself 20 times to get us to hear him. But look at what he says in this restoration. Number one, he says, I will betroth them to myself. That's a fancy word. We don't use that anymore. It's like a marriage engagement hybrid. So at this time, when you got engaged, it was a legal contract. You weren't married to your spouse yet, but you were legally obligated to marry them in the future and to get out of that would mean that you would have to file for divorce even though you were not quite married yet and God says here I will betroth them to myself I will give them an eternal commitment just like a husband and a wife and so when we look at this restoration process when we look at our relationship and the change of it what God promises us is eternal commitment to him or from him to us and that means that we will always no matter what we do no matter how we mess up we will always have access to him and he will always always have us when we truly have this relationship and then number two here talking of relationship it says in verse 20 it says and they shall know the lord you could read that very quickly and and you could look over it but that word stuck out to me and i started digging the hebrew word there for "know" is yada And yada is used all over the Old Testament, but there's one place that I think that it really, or one way that it's used, that it really opens it up. And that's in Genesis 4, that word is used. In Genesis 4, it says this, is that Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bare him a son. And that that word is a placeholder for the physical aspect of intercourse. And the reason that I'm bringing that up is, uh, stick with me, don't get confused here, stick with me, is because God uses that instead of saying any other word we could use for that sexual act, he uses the word new. Because it points to something deeper about our physical connections with each other between a husband and a wife. It points to a deep, intimate, emotional connection that comes with the physical act of sex. And God uses that same word that same word to describe us connecting to him forget the physical part of it what god says know him what he's speaking of here is a deep intimate emotional connection with the god of the universe israel will know god not know about god not have met god not waves to god in walmart because they went to school each other 10 years ago israel and us will have a deep intimate emotional connection with god me ask you a question based on that. Is your faith a habit or is it a connection to the God of the universe? Last bit of verses here, verses 20 through 23, 21 through 23. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear me. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil and shall hear Jezreel. And I will show her unto me in in the earth and I will have mercy upon her that have not obtained mercy and I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. Here it is in this process. Here is restoration. If you remember going back to chapter 1, Hosea marries Gomer in this picture of what it's like for God to love people who cheat on him with false gods, and they have three children. And and these children represent that divide between God and his people. The first child was named Jezreel as a reminder of a bloody massacre done by the Israelites. The second child was named No Mercy, so there would be a complete reminder that God would not save them from judgment. And the last child was named Not My Child, I'm sorry, Not My People. That way that there would be no question that God and these people's relationship was broken. But here God goes back to those names and he says Jezreel will be a symbol of hope and to those who had had not obtained mercy mercy will be given in this new relationship in this restoration and to those who were not my people they will be called my people and they will say you are my god you may have been sitting here over the past couple of weeks and you know your relationship with god is broken because of your sin you know that you can't reach him and you really want to know what do i do to restore my relationship what is it that i can do to get back right with him and this is the whole point of what hosea is saying here it's not about what you do it's not about what you do if you read this section again and i'm going to give you some homework go home read this section of verses and i want you to highlight every time god says i will because as God goes through here, he says, I will allure them. I will take them to the wilderness. I will speak to them softly. I will take away false gods from their lips. I will make a covenant. I will betroth them. I will have mercy. I will call them my people. 14 times God says in this cycle of restoration, I will do it. So what do the broken sinners do? What does it say that you and I do to restore our relationship? It only says three things, three actions that God's people do in this restoration of the relationship with him number one is respond number two is acknowledge that he is God and number three is know him see listen you you cannot restore yourself with God you cannot obtain your own salvation you can't make your relationship with him right God does that and as Jesus comes here and he comes to this earth and he thinks about you and me and he looks at us and our dirtiness and our brokenness and all of the things that we can never reach him, he says, one more, I will. I will go to a cross and I will die for their sins. I will give them the opportunity to restore this relationship. I will do the legwork for them to come back to me. And all Jesus asks in response is for our faith. If you don't know what faith is, it's just as simple as what is put here. Just to respond to what he has done for you. To acknowledge that he is God and follow him. And to begin a relationship where you truly know him. And some of you have been sitting here today and you're like, man, this Bible is screaming at me today. It's talking to me. I need to know him. This is your opportunity. This is our response time. Don't walk out of here one more time hoping it'll go no way next week come up here and acknowledge that he is God. Ask him for forgiveness and begin your relationship with him today. i tell you from experience, you won't regret it ever. Please stand.